it's just what I want for my daughter. I want to provide for our students here. Um, and that's that's been my my motivator. Um, and and really, I want her, I want her to have the best and I want our students here in Maywood to have the best. Hi, my name is Juan Corona. I am the director of bilingual services for Maywood School District 89 here in Illinois. Uh, we're a um, community just out, outside of Chicago. Um, I am a uh, bilingual learner myself, and I decided to go into uh, education early on. Um, and I, uh, as a second grade and fifth grade bilingual teacher, I also did some ESL work. But the, the leadership role and, and what it uh, takes to support our staff was something that, that called to, to me. Uh, so here I am in uh, my second year at Maywood as the director um, of our dual language program um, and also, uh, you know, supporting our students who are uh, in the uh, gen ed classroom uh, with, uh, who have ESL needs. Um, and uh, I'm glad to be part of such a, a great team here um, and looking forward to working with uh, Elevation and sharing our story here. Hi, my name is Maribel Tabuada. I am the Assistant Superintendent of Curriculum and Instruction in Maywood District 89, um, just right outside of Chicago. Um, before that, I was the Bilingual Director of ELL Services in the same district. Um, I started my career as a high school math teacher in the inner city, then uh, moved to teacher leader of ELL Assessment and Instruction um, in another district. Um, I was an assistant principal for three years, a principal for four years, director for two years, and now assistant superintendent on my second year. So I'm always committed. I'm passionate about working with our minority populations. Um, I was also a bilingual student myself. I'm a product of Chicago Public Schools. And so I understand and value that home language, the culture, um, our roots basically. And so looking forward to working with um, Elevation and uh, my team here in Maywood District 89 so that we can continue to best support um, our English language learners as well as our other students. Um, we are 98% minority and so about 60% low income and so many of our students do come with language challenges whether they're monolingual or bilingual so we strive to meet the language needs of all our students. So Juan Corona and Maribel Taboada Thank you so much for joining us on our In This Together docu-series, part of the Elevation uh, EL Equity and Action Program. Really appreciate you both uh, coming on to this first episode as we get ready for this new school year. Thank you for inviting us, Steve. Hi. You're welcome. Uh, how did I do with your name, Maribel, your last name? Was that okay? Yes. Good. My Spanish teacher roots coming back, making sure that I still have that. <laughs> Well, it's great to have you both on, as I mentioned. Um, it, you know, we're, we're, we're getting lots of school districts um, sort of uh, represented here from around the country. Um, and yours, I think, given your demographic uh, that you explained in the introduction, is, is really crucial that we, that we get districts like yours to talk about how we're going to approach um, equity this coming school year. So my first question is, is uh, it's, it's a simple one, but it doesn't always have a simple answer. Um, and that is, do you all have a plan yet for, for back to school as we approach the second week in August here? Um, I was joking around with uh, Mr. Corona and I said we have three plans for back to school in 2021 because we were being proactive. So knowing that 
um, we pretty much had to close our district down from March 16th to the end of the school year. Um, we formed an e-learning planning committee and we were planning for three different instructional designs. So the first one was, you know, all in person with social distancing to keep the health and safety of our students and staff members, you know, at the heart of what we were planning. Um, the second instructional design was that hybrid blended model. And then our third one is full-time e-learning, remote learning. We use that um, interchangeably. So we do have um, three plans. And obviously we're gonna use one of those plans throughout the whole school year. So um, the work that we did with our e-learning planning committee, it's not gonna go to waste. As mentioned, we will have to go back to a blended model. And of course, also the goal is to go back to what we now are calling the traditional school year of all in-person. Yeah. Yeah, so that's happening a lot. You know, I love, I love it what you said about that none of this is going to go to waste, right? Because, you know, the, the, the prevailing wisdom, and I'm not sure how wise it is, is that, well, why are we going to plan for three things and we're only going to use one? But the reality is hopefully all these things will become, you know, used at some point uh, during the school year. Um, as you look at these three models, uh, and either one of you can can take this on, I'm sure, but as you look at these three models, how do you anticipate those particular plans affecting um, your ability to provide equitable instruction to English learners? Like, is there, I'm sure there are lots of challenges and lots of things that you're thinking about. Obviously, most of us have in mind that would love to go back face-to-face, -face, but what are the challenges that lie ahead for those different models? I think we, because we, we were proactive and had an opportunity to plan, we took into consideration how to best support our English learners and our uh, SPED students, uh, and all students at that. But uh, we, we, you know, followed Illinois guidelines to see specifically how to support our, all of our students. So we plan on, on having our ESL resource teachers still connect with our students. Uh, we do have a dual language program. Uh, so those teachers are well versed on how to support the students in both English and Spanish. Um, I think one of the biggest things that I'm excited about is uh, now ha having elevation in our district so that our gen ed teachers have access to our student data. Uh, and it's no, no longer a guessing game. Everyone will know who their ELs are. Um, I've been uh, talking about the WIDA can do descriptors on how they, the classroom teacher can use that to kind of guide her instruction. Um, and then overall, the, our curriculum team has been, um, uh, we, we were still able to do uh, a little bit of uh, PD for our dual language teachers with Dr. Medina. Uh, who was amazing. Um, and I, I think just planning ahead, it was never left to the side. It's how can we um, get what we have now to plan for the school year? I think what really helps Steve is that our superintendent's also bilingual himself. And so I was a former director here in this district. So instead of thinking, planning for gen ed or monolingual in mind, we started with how would this look for our English language learners and our second language learners um, at one of our schools? Because we have 50% of the students at one of our schools are African-American learning Spanish. So we need to make sure that we meet the language needs of both language groups. Right. I think that's one of the advantages that we do have that because we have, um, you know, Dr. Shiraki Holly calls it senior leadership but the senior leadership, many of us are bilingual ourselves and we're ELL at one point in time, or we continue to be ELL, <laughs> um, but you know what I mean. And so um, like Juan just said, we always plan ahead. Um, now there's some things that, you know, when it comes to assessment, 
that's where, you know, I, I love how, having Juan in the district. I met Juan when he was still in, a, in his former district. And he always talked about, you know, having that assessment piece, having elevation to monitor the exited students because our process was kind of outdated. And if you miss that one email, you're missing a lot of information where with, you know, elevation and the, the system, it's at people's fingertips. Like they can log in, they can get it, and they can plan for instructions. I think because of just the makeup of cabinet, um, you know, Juan, myself, um, our superintendents, Dr. Negron, our ELs are in the forefront as well as our special education students. They're not thought of it second, they're in the forefront of the planning. Yeah, I'm really glad you mentioned that. I mean, I think it's 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 just so great to see you both as as bilingual people and and former English learners or always English learners, however you want to put it. Um, that's crucial to have that that empathy and their top of mind for you, and the fact that your superintendent um, is as well. Not all districts have, I would say, the luxury of having that asset of multilingual people in those right. kinds of positions. Um, the other thing that you mentioned is you know you talked about elevation, but elevation aside, identifying students, knowing who these students are. Um, it, it is a challenge, and this might be a surprising to people, but I mean, I, you know, you, in some districts, it's just the first difficult thing to do is to know who these students are, right? And at the beginning of the school year, this year, it's going to be even more challenging if you're in a remote environment in particular. So I, I imagine having the tools to be able to know immediately who those students are and where they are, even though some of that data may, data may be a little bit old, is is got to be crucially important for you and part of your plan moving forward. Right. So. I mean, as you think about these three plans, I think the other, all of the other districts that I've spoken to uh, on this series are, are they, have, they have made a plan to go fully remote, at least temporarily. Mm-hmm. You all are different. You have three plans. You're not exactly sure, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, you're exactly sure how it's going to look yet, but you're planning for three different things. What is top of mind for you all right now? And I know, like, I hate using the expression, what are you losing sleep over? Because I hope nobody is losing any sleep. Like, <laughs> we need it now, like, more than ever. <laughs> um, but if there is one thing that's kind of keeping you up at night um, about what this next school year looks like, um, what is it? And, and Juan, why don't we have you start with that, and then we'll go to uh, Maribel. Sure. And, you know, com- coming to Maywood, and this being my second year, what, what I noticed was, uh, there's a strong connection with the community. Um, it, there's ties that I'm, uh, you know, I've been in other districts and I haven't seen it so strong how it is here. So my my biggest concern is um, is meeting the needs of our families, whether it be with meals or technology or, or, or um, social emotional needs. That that's what keeps me up at night. I, I think we have a a strong plan. Uh, for instruction to to support our students and our staff, uh, but it's that the home, what's going on at home, and we're only limited, you know, to to you know, we'll have a snapshot into um, their home, but what happens when we're not working with them is is uh, again, and being a father of, of a student who's going into kindergarten, um, I want to make sure that um, that they're t- taken well care of both academically and um, at, at home. Yeah, the, I mean the 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 family engagement piece and the community piece uh, has come up in I think every conversation I, I I've had. Uh, Maribel, would you add anything to that? Um, yeah, absolutely. So as of July thirty first, we did decide that we would start full time um, remote learning, and so at least we were able to move forward. You know, these last week and a half week and a half, knowing that it will be full time remote learning. We made our schedules really tight so that students are receiving. 
um, two and a half to three and a half hours of live virtual lessons in addition to links. Um, Juan mentioned technology. So now what is concerning to me now is that we're handing out the devices. We are providing hotspots um, for parents and families that request it. Um, some can you know, get the hotspot from their cell phone for just an added cost to their um, cellular phone bill. But anyhow, my, my concern is that we are putting a lot on our, on our parents. We are assuming that they're going to be home so that, you know, Juan can log into his Zoom lesson from 10 to 10.30 and then that Juan's going to be working independently and he's going to log in again for his math lesson at 11.15 to 12 because we have a combination of whole group and small group instruction because we're still differentiating even the virtual lessons. And so that's my concern. As Juan mentioned, we're real big on, you know, that family commitment. Um, as a district, we have family district events on a monthly basis, and we've done that for five years, and they're very successful. And we have them across the different schools so that we are um, connecting with our three different communities, Broadview, Maywood, and Melrose Park. We're not able to do that this year. And so that has been, you know, I wouldn't say that it keeps me up at night, but that is a concern because we would use those family events to, you know, give them like little skills on, you know, this is an activity that you can work with your student at home, you know, because we have different themes. So like our math night, you know, parents are walking out with one idea or strategy and how to support their children, but we're losing that. So we're hoping that we're going to be able to get creative and have some type of virtual family night. Um, but right now the priority is that instructional day so that we can, you know, address some of those learning gaps that we already know the students are going to have from not having school from March 16th, although we were proactive and we started e-learning the first day they were out, it was more of you know, a review of what they had learned and we didn't follow our curriculum maps. Now starting this school year in fall um, of 2020, we are using our curriculum maps. They were revised to take those learning gaps into consideration and we're providing one-to-one -one devices to all our students. Um, and we're also distributing consumables so that students have a combination of technology and that traditional paper and pencil. Um, so I think we're ready for that, but it's that parent component. Like, how do we support them through a screen? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I say all the time that I'm a parent, you know, I, I have flexible, out, you know, my schedule is pretty flexible of what I can do. Um, which makes it easier. But I was a teacher for 17 years. I have four kids at home and I'm not the best uh, at homeschooling, it turns out. <laughs> it's, it turns out it's very different. Um, so I can't even imagine, you know, being a parent who's a frontline worker, a parent who maybe doesn't speak the language um, and is trying to navigate uh, all of this. So that is a concern among um, everybody I've spoken with. And just a point of clarification here, I think I said that you weren't sure what you're going to do, do yet, but it sounds like as of July 31st, you have decided to start remotely. Is that right? Or am I still? Yes. Okay, great. Sorry for the confusion. I think at the beginning, I, I had said that you were planning. I know you're planning for three different scenarios to mm -hmm. make sure that you have them all, but you are at this point starting remotely. Right. So that and makes everybody that I've chatted with of the five, uh, all starting remotely at this point. And I think interestingly, you know, looking back a month ago, it looked like everybody was going to go into this hybrid model. That just seemed to be what everybody was looking at and for a wide variety of reasons. I feel like most districts are now uh, going to start remote and then see see where it goes from there. Um, so that being said, uh, it sounds like given the planning that you've done, you're, you're, you're ready to sort of be flexible, be nimble and pivot um, if you need to. Um, 
I guess I'd, I just I just ask you to provide a little bit more information about that question, given the the um, unpredictable nature of the virus, the unpredictable nature of of what's happening. How important is it for you to know that your staff, your families, your students are prepared to make quick changes if necessary? So I think the remote learning plan that we have, we're probably going to reevaluate it in the first six weeks, depending on feedback from teachers, from parents, from students, in, you know, in the older grades. Um, if we get to phase five in the state of Illinois, where they have the vaccine of, they call it phase five, reopening Illinois, then we already have our blended model plan. So then we would execute our blended model plan where it was created so specific that we even measured every single instructional space at every building so that we know that this room has a capacity of X number of people with six feet social distancing. We bought masks. I mean, we're ready for to transition to phase, um, to the blended model, phase five, um, to the blended model um, in, all our, in all our schools. Um, as far as preparing the parents, I think we are in the process we have a technology coordinator. We are in the process of creating how-to videos um, and we're gonna send them to just regular YouTube links because we know that our parents um, that are not as proficient with technology, everybody knows how to click on a YouTube link. And so we're doing that. So we're building our library. Um, I met with the union board this morning and basically they also wanted how-to how -to videos because we're not saying you need to use this platform because they have the option of Teams, they have the option of Zoom. They have the option of Google Meets. Not a lot of them are using Google Meets, but that was also thrown out there. Um, so we are constantly thinking of how to support our staff and our parents so that regardless of what instructional design we choose, we chose one now, but that could change depending on how things change um, in the state, that nobody's like shocked or not prepared because we already know what that feels like from March experience. We don't want to be in the same predicament. Right. And having all those plans in place is going to allow you to make changes quickly if you need to. And I mean, I think what you just brought up in terms of like measuring all the rooms illustrates like the crazy amount of planning that's going on behind the scenes that people maybe just don't know about, um, which is one of the things we're trying to do here is just humanize this and, and bring you up to talk about what is going on to make these things happen. I mean, you're talking about a lot of work behind the scenes. And I a think- <clears throat> I think a lot of that uh, is due to how uh, proactive our superintendent, Dr. Negron, is in uh, working closely with the state and, and uh, preparing us to and, and giving us the uh, the guidance on creating those uh, committees to to work through all of these uh, designs. Um, that's one of the reasons why uh, I wanted to come to the district because of the leadership. Um, and, and being very proactive. There's a lot of that are, are waiting to see what other districts are doing. We're pretty much on the front lines leading the way. Um, so it feels great to be a part of a team that, that does that and is thinking ahead, not just at the moment, not just one month ahead, is let's do, let's plan for this scenario, let's plan for that scenario, and we'll have time to adjust uh, and pivot like you were saying as needed. Um, so it's been very flexible and those committees, um, we had our, our teachers part of that, um, those committees, which we got to see up their perspective and, and took their insight into account as we developed those plans. Their voice is definitely in every single instructional design plan. Um, just to give you a quick example of what 
Kwan was referring to. So we have a district, a district strategic plan. Um, if we created in 2018 and it expires, what we call it expires in 2023, which means we're going to update it. So our goal was to be a one-to-one -one district um, in school year 21-22. When this pandemic hit, we surveyed the parents, we surveyed the teachers, and the number one barrier to reach color students, ELs, special education, gen ed students, was that technology device. And so we bumped all our plans from 21-22, because we had a plan for um, technology, to this school year. So come end of April, beginning of May, meeting with our technology team. We got the CARES Act money, so we had the funds. So we invested over $2 million just so that we could become that one-to-one -one, um, district. We had over 150 teachers attend um, technology training throughout the summer, not getting paid, just getting CPDUs, because we said, you know, this is domain four professional responsibility. We can give you the tools and we can teach you how to use them, but you need to put in the time. It's your own professional growth, not just mine. And the people that are going to benefit are our students. And I know that we go into education because we want to benefit students. Um, and so, you know, when we presented it that way, we were just so, I don't want to say um, shocked, but we were impressed with the number of teachers that gave up a lot of their summertime to learn the tools that we're providing them. Right. To go through the trainings or better meet our dual language learners. Because again, we have our ELs, but we also have our second language learners learning Spanish. So we have to think of all groups of students. Yeah, and I love that you're bringing those groups, two groups together, which is something I don't hear a whole lot about. And as a former, like, foreign language teacher, Spanish teacher, I think that's really important. Um, and also, like, just the collaboration between those two groups of, of educators that can that can really spark uh, innovation. And you're talking a lot about innovation now and just this kind of forced innovation that you guys were able to get uh, this technology plan into place early um, I'm assuming that that probably wouldn't have happened if it weren't for this huge disruption. So there are some some silver linings here. I want to zoom out a little bit, and uh, I, I'm not sure who who wants to take this question. But my question is, you know, what are the current conditions on the ground there in your area in terms of the virus, and and how is it um, affecting your ability? you know, to kind of close the equity gap for uh, more vulnerable student groups as you think about the new school year? Well, you know, as we know, um, our Latino families and our African-American families have been hit the hardest. And so our percentage of cases in the Maywood Township area is higher than it is across the state. So that's a big concern. And that's the other reason why we went with the full-time remote learning, because we knew that, um, we, were at, we are at a higher risk. We need to protect our students, our families, and our, our, our staff. We can't have schools open without teachers. So um, that was that decision, I want to say, was relatively simple to make because you're putting, truly, you know, it's like, it could be life or death situation. Right. Never thought in, you know, I've been in education for 21 years, never thought that I would be having a conversation that truly could be life or death, right? There's no life or death with curriculum. Um, but there is in this case. It seemed like, like it two years ago, though, didn't it? <laughs> right. <laughs> and so anyway, so, um, you know, to that, that, that equity piece, again, like Juan just said, um, we move forward with our technology plan. We're providing internet. We're providing the consumables. Um, we're making like goodie bags with, you know, supplies, basic supplies, so that they can still do their arts and music at home. Um, so we're trying to think of everything that we can possibly do to support them 
but at the end of the day, nothing can compare to that in-person instruction. Um, even building relationships, you know, um, now, you know, trying to build a relationship through Zoom and you're looking at, you know, 20 different little faces on your screen. Um, so it's different, you know, it's different times, challenging times, but I think it's also going to make us stronger. And I said, it's making, it's bringing us together because I don't think I've had more productive conversations with our union than I have in the last four months, just because we have to be united. Um, so it's really not, it's, this situation is bringing us more like closer. It's no longer them and us. It's really us. Like, what are we going to do? Right. Yeah. Well said. Um, you know, one of the things that I think is interesting and again, like where I'm really trying to kind of sort of humanize this, uh, this whole experience and put some faces to, uh, the work that's being done in this case, yours. And I'm interested if you have an, an anecdote or a story, uh, maybe that you've sort of witnessed over the last month or so, um, that kind of tells a story of what's going on there, whether it's a win or a challenge, um, you know, about what, what's going to happen with this new school year, where people are, what they're thinking. Is there an example that you can think of in your experience over the last month or so working with teachers or families or students? For me, uh, it's uh, our superintendent. When we first announced that we were uh, closing our schools, uh, the cabinet had a meeting and, and uh, we set some dates in place. And then we met with, with all, our, all of our building administrators to kind of tell them what we were doing and, and what the next steps were. Um, there was no hesitation. Um, it was um, it was right at the moment, and um, I think it, it made everybody feel safe. That um, even though we were closing our schools, we still had expectations, and that we were working on a plan that would include all of them. And it wasn't just coming from district office. It was a, we're going to work together as a team, uh, and it's been exactly that. It's been a partnership uh, within our district. Um, so that that's something that. Um, that I, that I would say true leadership uh, just kind of came out and um, we all had our own uh, assignments, but um, it, it all is fitting together as we're coming to the, you know, our start of the school year, things are just starting to fall into place because of that, that uh, planning and that leadership. And something that I'm always keeping in mind. So last school year, again, always saying we were prepared, but not really like, we were prepared to be closed for two or three weeks and we were good about our plan. And then when, you know, the governor announced that we were going to stay closed till April 30th, we're like, Oh wait, you know, so we have to tweak our plan. I mean, we did. And then when we learned that we weren't going to be able to open our schools, you know, for the remaining of the school year, it was like that another, you know, back to reality. So in the meantime, I received this email from a parent um, in Maywood. And so she sent it to the general line and it was forwarded to me. And I'm reading the email and I could feel this mom's just, you know, anxiety and pain. You know, she had been um, impacted by COVID. She's a primary caregiver. You know, she had been concerned because her children had not been able to pick up the grab and go packets to stay engaged, you know, at the school because she had had COVID. And so it was a long email and, you know, some all capital letters, other, you know, improper um, grammar use of the English language. And I'm just trying to read through this. And, you know, I search up who she was. I emailed the principal and I said, connect with this family. I said, she is screaming out for help. I said, and I don't know her. I said, you know, but I'm hoping to meet her one day. I said, um, 
So, you know, the principal at that school basically put a grab-and-go meal um, basket for the family, um, all the grab-and-go packets to keep her students engaged, you know, a little supply bag for the students and dropped it off. And she sent me a thank you email, like I had given her a million dollars. And so that's something that I keep need to keep reminding myself that for us, perhaps, we didn't have to buy the food. It's our, the food that we were distributing anyway. I didn't have to make the packets. It's the packets that we were distributing anyway. I didn't have to go out and buy supplies. It's the supplies that we already had at the school. It was just a matter of someone reading her email and that someone you know, taking the initiative to go to a person that could help, in this case, the principal, because he knows her, um, and just giving them 10 minutes of our time. That's it. So that's something that I'm always going to keep you know, reminding myself for us, it may be like, oh, they're just having a bad day, but we don't know if it's one day or if it's weeks of bad days. I think that's the reality that our many of our families are facing. Yeah, I, 100%. Um, and I would say, you know, there's definitely a connection between what you, between your, your both your stories. I mean, Juan was talking about leadership and how leadership has to make a decision and, and people have to believe in them. You're talking about a specific family in need. But it takes leadership, in this case, your leadership, to say, hey, we need to reach out to this family and do something about it in order to make what is so crucially important right now, and that is human connection, at a time when it's really, really difficult to make these human connections. And you all mentioned, I think one you're mentioning, um, or or I I don't know who's mentioning, relationship building. How do you do it on Zoom? Um, Well, you know, perhaps it starts with those kinds of actions. Um, And I I think that's just like, it's really a dilemma because it's hard to establish these relationships and certainly hard to nurture them over time. Uh, Keep students engaged, keep families engaged. But little things like that, knowing that you're there and that you're listening and that you're helping um, with something as simple, but also as crucial as food, you know, and activity packs for students is is key. So I'm really glad that you brought both of those things up because there's a connection there. If the leadership is there to supply that, um, and, and, and prioritize it, uh, it's, it's going to make a big difference right now. I have to think that. So speaking about, you know, leadership and, uh, and like, you know, best practices, I mean, if you hear this a lot, I, I've, I've asked a lot of people about this and I think that a lot of people think right now, sort of throw your best practices out the window because it's a brand new situation that we're in educationally. And, you know, we have to think of new things and, um, I'm curious what you what you think about that when it, when it comes to English learners. I mean, we rely a lot about on these best practices. Has all that changed now? Are those still in place, or do we need to invent new ones? What What are your thoughts on that, Juan? Why don't you Why don't you start with that? Uh, with best practices in general, or, or to ELs? Yeah, would, would you both like best practices for supporting English learners and in instruction? I'm curious if you think that the sort of prevailing wisdom of what best practices were right need to change now are they the same or or do they need to completely change because i see a lot of i think it's shifting but i think i've seen a lot of people talk about how i don't you know what are best practices now how do we go about doing it so do they change with the way that we are now going to be sort of uh, trying to reach these students remotely or is it the same and we just have to shift the way that we deliver well i think it has to do a lot with uh, attitude um you know uh those that that maintain that positive attitude can continue to use the strategies that they have. It, it's just a different way of um, implementing those strategies uh, in in a virtual form. Um, I think um, sometimes, uh, and, and I've seen it in colleagues who are educators in other districts, 
they're nervous about the things that they can't change, which pulls away from their um, their uh, instruction uh, planning. It, it just it draws so much away thinking about the things that cannot change. Um, as I've been saying, uh, we've been very proactive here rather than reactive, and and I think if we keep that positive positivity in in the forefront and um, are able to um, change what we what's within our limit, I, I think we can uh, continue to go forward. But strategies are are, are strategies. It's, it's when you deliver them. It's it's the the way that they're being supported. Um, I think attitude is huge uh, now, um, and then staying informed. I, I think uh, uh, our our district and many districts around us are, are waiting for state guidance, and then we we look at that, and that kind of um, powers what we do next mm-hmm. um, because it, we ha- we certainly have limitations, uh, but what really will hinder you will be that negative uh, mindset. Um, so I, I'm lucky to, to be surrounded by positive um, uh, people here within my district, but then surrounding districts are, we're looking at each other for support. We're looking at ways to better uh, support our, both our, our community and our staff. Um, but I think attitude, a positive attitude is huge here. Yeah, I think that's that's key too. It's so easy to get paralyzed by all the changes and by um you know, everything's changing so quickly that you think more about the challenges and all of the sort of negative stuff that's out there, um, rather than keeping in mind that the end goal is to educate these these students and provide them with the best education that we can, no matter how we deliver it. Um, and it's kind of a curveball that I've been throwing people because I think I think I was one of those people for a while that said, what best practices don't exist anymore. But the more that I thought about it, the more that I talked to people, to me, Yes, they do. It's just how we deliver them is different. How are you going to plan for everything? And it sounds like you all have done a great job at sort of thinking about, um, you know, what it's going to look like no matter what you need to do. Well, for our ELs, you know, we had um, training with Dr. Medina and we said, we're still integrating listening, speaking, reading and writing, Um, you know, because it is a best practice, making sure that we're using all four language domains so that they can continue to grow, you know, in second language acquisition and the academics. And so we made visuals and we made them, but <laughs> because we learned from Dr. Medina, we made visuals so that teachers can point, you know, um, for the students that have a hard time hearing or if there's noise in the background, so they're going to be pointing, okay, so now it's going to be a listening activity or right now it's going to be a writing activity. You know, so we are accommodating what we know is best practice uh, but how is it going to be implemented and executed in a virtual lesson? Yeah, it's good that you're getting that uh, that that PD and sort of challenging some of the um, traditional sort of ways that we've done things. Even you know that takes that takes humility. Uh, you have to be humble to 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 realize that you know the way that I did things before might not work right now. My end goal is the same. How do I shift it? Um, so that's great. So one I more question. It, oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, I was going to, and it goes back to communication. Um, I think that the more that we communicate with our stakeholders, the more comfortable and the, you know, we can calm down some of that anxiety. Um, so even throughout the summer, um, our Dr. Nergo and our superintendent and I were looking to see like how frequently did we communicate with our community? And the most that we did not plan some type of communication was two weeks. And that was since March 16th, you know, including the summer. So 
we don't have um, a lot of parents that come and complain. I mean, we have over 2,000 families. And if we get, I don't know, five a week, it's a lot. But I think it's that ongoing conversation. And when they do call, we listen. And if we can problem solve right there and then, we problem solve. And so I think that's really helped us as well. Yeah, great point. That communicate like if you're establishing great relationships and nurturing them, when there is a problem, it's a lot easier to handle it rather than to not have communication and say, hey, we have a problem, then it's, then it's difficult. Uh, I've been hearing that over and over again as well. So my last question is, um, I think an important one, maybe not directly related to the work that you're doing on a day-to-day basis, but nonetheless really important for folks like you who are really, really busy right now and doing really important work. Where are you getting your your inspiration from? How are you keeping yourselves motivated to do this incredibly difficult work right now? I'll let Juan answer first. Sure. I, I, I think for me, um, my, my inspiration or my, my motivator has been my, uh, my daughter going into kindergarten, you know, um, I could have guessed that <laughs> I, I want her to, you know, have that, that first year is very crucial and she's missing out. So, um, I just thought if if I feel that way about my daughter's education, I have, you know, almost 5,000 students here that I need to worry about. I need to worry about my English learners and, and what are we putting in place for them to transition from having the summer off and coming into school where as much as I want to, I don't want to miss a, a, a beat with them in this first step for them. Um, but looking at our uh, all the way through our eighth graders, like wh- what are we doing to make sure that um, they enjoy their last year with with us uh, in eighth grade? Um, it, it's just what I want for, for my daughter. I want to provide for our students here. Um, and, and that's that's been my my motivator. Um, and, and really, I want her, I want her to have the best and I want our students here in Maywood to have the best. Um, it's my eighth year in the district, and it's my third position. So I started as a principal, moved on to director, now I'm the assistant soup. So I think it's been an honor to serve this community. Um, we talk about, you know, looking outside the window or having mirrors. When I step into my community, I identify myself with 98% of the students walking around because I was an EL, and I was a minority. I, my parents till this day don't speak English. I'm, their, I'm still their interpreter. You know, Juan knows that I have to take off, you know, early or, you know, I go and drop them off to the doctor's appointment and then come back to work because, you know, here in Maywood at Loyola. And so I that's that's my motivation. Like if I was able to make it, you know, being an ELL student in the 80s in Chicago public schools with parents that came, you know, immigrated from Mexico and still don't speak English, all our students in Morrows Park, all our students in Maywood and all our students in Broadview will be able to do it. So just, you know, I have children of my own. Mine are a little older than Juan's. Um, but but same thing, right? My son's going into seventh grade. Um, he's happy that it's all full-time remote learning because he knows I'm going to be at work. Um, but what I want our students here, you know, I heard an analogy the other day. You know, there's students that have parents and they already start in third base in baseball. You know, so to make that run, they only have to go to, you know, fourth base and then make the run. I feel like we're working with students that really, we as adults and as educators need to teach them how to make some run so that they can make that run and catch up with those students that have all those privileges and advantages. You know, and 
my kid doesn't have the same challenges that the kids that I serve have. And so I'm thinking of them um, so that, because I was them, I was them. So I'm thinking of them when I make those decisions, when, you know, spending 10 hours here at work and feeling guilty as a mom, but I know I'm doing it for the right reason. Because I know my kid at home, he has it made. He's the third, third base kid, right? That's just going to have to make that quick run. Not our kids here in Maywood, in Morris Park. Well, that's beautifully said by both of you, and your um, your students there are definitely lucky to have you representing them. I feel um, uh, I feel very honored to have spoken with you as well, and getting kind of a, a little foundation for um, for the In This Together docu series. So you're you're off to the races now, and we'll catch up with you in a couple weeks and and figure out kind of how it all started. I'm sure uh, the one thing that that we can guarantee is that there are no guarantees and that things will change in the next couple of weeks. So we look forward to chatting with you then. Um, uh, Maribel Taboada and Juan Corona, thank you so much for joining us in this first episode and we'll catch up with you again very soon. Thank you so much. It was nice meeting you. Thank you.